So good morning again. This is the fourth Sunday of Lent. All right, if you're here or if you're listening at home, chances are you're the kind of person who wants your life to count. You want to make a difference. You, you want to raise great kids. If you have kids, you want co-workers and neighbors to be better people because they know you. You want to help people in need. I don't know if you've seen this, but Diane and I have been watching, the, or we've watched that series on Netflix called The Maid, and it's about a, a single mom who uh, is in an abusive relationship, and uh, she, she struggles to get herself and her child out of this relationship and, and to get her life stood up and moving in a positive direction. And it's excruciating to watch because she just can't seem to catch a break. Every time she moves in a direction, she, she doesn't have the resources or, or something pushes her back. And I spent the entire series, seriously, it's based on a, a, a true story. I spent the entire series wanting to jump through the television screen to help this poor woman. We want to help. We want our society overall to be better. We, we want justice to be done. And when injustice happens, something rises up in us. Our hearts ache when we hear stories about tornadoes in Louisiana or about uh, refugees from Afghanistan or about the devastation in Ukraine. We want to make a difference. Now, we probably recognize that we're not Moses. We might not do quite what he did, but we want our lives to count for good. We're those kind of people. How does that happen? How do we become people who make a difference for good? And the next part of Moses' story actually gives us some hints. Today's passage speaks to what the process was for Moses that led him to becoming Moses and, and, and the difference maker that he was. Now, I don't want you to think of this as a prescription, but this passage does speak to our desire to live a life that counts it opens up for us three different processes, if you will. Or, or maybe these are three different parts of the same process. Either way, I pray that it will be helpful for us in thinking about stepping into all that God has for us as individuals, as families, and as a congregation. I pray this will give us some things to think about toward making our lives count. Welcome to the sixth installment of our walk through the Old Testament book of Exodus. And, and in this series, we're calling these conversations Rescued. And, and we're parachuting back into ancient Egypt, actually into the 15th century B.C. So 1400 and some years before Jesus. And we will begin today by reading the first nine verses of Exodus chapter 9. This is Exodus chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, and I'm going to read from the screen. Moses answered, what, so we're picking up in the middle of a dialogue with God here. I'll explain that in a second. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? And the Lord said to him, what's in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake. And he ran from it. And the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And I'm told by commentaries that I read that the Hebrew here, and this was originally written in Hebrew, the Hebrew in the Hebrew, uh, God uses a word that's pretty, pretty aggressive, pretty bold. Reach out and take it. So Moses, and now the Hebrew is much more timid. Moses reached out his hand and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, 
is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back in your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile, pour it on dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Okay, so last week, if you were here, you know that John walked us through Exodus chapter 3, the chapter right before them. And that chapter records for us one of the most epic encounters with God in human history. Seriously. Now remember, at this point in history, the Jews probably were circulating stories about Abraham around the dinner table beside the, the fire, when tucking their kids into bed. They may have even had a few of these stories written down on individual scrolls tucked away somewhere, but they didn't have Genesis. Very few of the families would have even had the whole account. They, they didn't have Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. They didn't have any instructions about the right way to sacrifice and even what sacrificing meant. They didn't have the book of Psalms, which is a catalog of anointed worship songs. And they certainly didn't know anything about Jesus and his sacrifice for us. So Moses' encounter with God was a brand new thing. It was a brand new revelation, not just to Moses, but in human history. I think this may be one of the main reasons that God showed himself with so much intensity and clarity to Moses, because this was brand new information for human beings. So through this epic encounter with God, Moses raised four questions, which God patiently answered. This question and answer session was very revealing. I think you'll see. And then Moses raised a fifth question. It was really more of an objection than a question. And at that point, God lost his patience. We'll read that in just a minute. This is also revealing. And through this exchange, we learn some really valuable things about the process of making our lives count. So let's jump into it. Number one, the first part of the process in making our lives count is, is a right understanding. I have to understand. If my life is going to count, if I'm going to be what God designed me to be and what I long to be, if I'm going to make an impact, I've got to understand who I am and who God is. I've got to get a clear picture of that. All right, if you're here last week, you may remember what happened in this encounter. God literally spoke to Moses out of a burning bush, and the bush was not consumed by the fire. So Moses was curious, and he got close to inspect, and then he heard God's voice. He was overwhelmed, and Moses said, here I am. Then he took off his shoes as a sign of respect. At that point, God told him, chapter 3, verse 10, Go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to, to bring God's people, to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Oh, is that all, God? So you want me to march into the chamber of the most powerful man in the world and pretty much demand that he do something that he has no desire to do, something that's not in his own interest to do, and the mere suggestion of it will probably get me killed. Oh, okay. So Moses raised his first question in verse 11 of chapter 3. Who am I to do something like this, God? 
legit question in my mind. (laughs) And God responded in verse 12 by saying, pretty much, it's not who you are, but who I am that matters. Moses, look at this. Look at verse 12 on the screen. Okay, so then, then Moses asked his second question in verse 13. Well, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? In other words, well, who are you, voice in the bush? And this was a time in human history, remember, when religion involved many gods, gods of various features of the universe, gods of various nations, gods of natural forces, and these gods all had names, and they had representative symbols and images. There were frogs. There was the sun and the moon. There were creatures with heads of animals and the bodies of humans, all representing various gods. So the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they referenced a God. In fact, a God who had created the universe. But who is he? What's his image? Uh, What's his name? This is the kind of thing that many of them would have been thinking, maybe Moses. And John walked us through God's answer to this question last week. God told Moses, I am who I am. That's my name. And that's kind of the ultimate drop-the-mic answer, don't you think? And this was critical information for Moses if he, was, if he was going to do what God had called him to do. For Moses to step into God's purposes, for Moses' life to count, he had to begin with understanding who he is and who God is. So, Moses, I am the one who's terrified. I'm the one who's overwhelmed and takes my shoes off. I'm the one who's curious. I'm the one who's confused and, and startled. I'm the shepherd of a flock of sheep. I'm an old man. You, voice in the bush, you are the one who speaks out of a burning bush that is not consumed. You are the one who is. You are the one who has spoken to my forefathers over and over again over the centuries. You are existence itself. Okay, so now, what do you want me to do? That's step one. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I think I worry about stuff or I get overwhelmed by stuff or frustrated and angry about stuff because I've forgotten who I am and who he is. If my life is going to make a difference, I have to understand who I am and who he is. It's a dramatic mental shift. Don't snooze on that. Have you made that shift? Do you understand this? That's a real question. I know many of you do, but I suspect there are a few of us who do not understand this yet. Not really. Think about how Moses thought the day before he heard God speak out of the burning bush. I think he believed in God. He may have even known many of the stories from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But I don't think he understood. I don't think he really understood who God is and who he is. And that makes all the difference. The second part of the process was equally important for Moses, and it will be for us. If my life is going to count, if, I have, if, I, if I'm going to make a difference, I have to become the staff of God. In other words, my resources have to become God's resources. I'll explain that more fully. Let's recap first. God said, go deliver my people from Pharaoh's grip. Moses asked, who am I to do such a thing? God said, look, I'll be with you. It's not about you, so go. Moses asked, well, who are you? God said, I'm the one. I make happen what happens. I am, so go. Then Moses asked his third question. 
And, and this is from the passage that we just read a moment ago. Moses asked, well, what if they don't believe me? Now, this question is a little whinier, <laughs> but in my mind, it's still legit. I mean, the last time the Jews had spoken to Moses was half a lifetime ago, and one of them had said to him, so who made you king over everybody? Since that decidedly unfriendly response, 40 years has passed. Now God says, go back and tell those same people, hey, I'm here to rescue you. Well, not me, actually. I am wants to rescue you, and I'm going to speak on his behalf to Pharaoh. So what if they don't believe me? Pretty legit. <laughs> and God's response is recorded in verses 2 and following of chapter 4. We just read it a moment ago. Basically, God instructed Moses to take his staff, which was one of the principal resources of Moses' trade. Pause. God told him to take his staff, one of the principal resources of Moses' trade. This is what he trained his sheep with. This is what he directed his sheep with. This is what he disciplined his sheep with. Take your staff and throw it on the ground. Moses did so and the staff became a snake. Then when he picked up the snake, it turned back into a staff. A staff which is now much more than an instrument for disciplining sheep. At that point, the staff had become a confirmation that God was involved. The staff had become a sign, right? That's why if you look down to, to verse 20 of that chapter of chapter uh, 4, we're not going to get to that this morning, but I want you to see this. Look at, verse, look at what he says in verse 20. So Moses took his wife and sons, and he decided to go to Egypt, to this, back to Egypt, to this one, put them on donkey, and started back to Egypt, and he took the staff of God in his hand. The staff of Moses had become the staff of God. Both literally, and maybe more importantly, in Moses' mind. Moses' principal resource, the primary instrument, instrument by which he plied his trade, his staff had become the staff of God. In a wonderful sermon by Francis Schaeffer, uh, Schaeffer commented on this point. He said this, I want to read this. Uh, Consider the mighty ways in which God used a dead stick of wood. God so used a stick of wood could be a banner cry for each of us. Though we are limited and weak in talent, physical energy, and psychological strength, we're not less than a stick of wood. But as the rod of Moses had to become the rod of God, so that which is me must become the me of God. Then I can become useful in God's hands. The scripture emphasizes that much can come, to, come from little if the little is truly consecrated to God, end quote. If you'll indulge me for a second, I got an email a number of months ago uh, from a woman in our area who, it's a, it was a sweet and a wonderful email and very, very encouraging. And at one point in this email, she said to me, I, I want to thank you for what you've been saying over the last several weeks. It has changed my life. And I have to be honest with you. My first response to that was, change your life? Wait, you don't, you don't, don't take me that seriously. <laughs> the, I, that, that was terrifying to me, scary. Uh, don't, you, you need to back, get out more. Don't, don't listen to that degree to me. And uh, I was startled by that myself, by my response. It was a great moment for me because I realized, I, you know, honestly, I can be honest and tell you, often faultingly and failingly, but I've invested a lot of time 
over the course of a long, many years doing this, trying to allow my staff to become the staff of God so that it's not about, it's not about me. And the Lord reprimanded me pretty quickly when I realized she's not listening to you. That's not what changed her life. Once in a while, you get out of the way and, and you stumble into the, my words. That's what changed her life. Now, someone is thinking, okay, Ed, but you talk about God and stuff. Your staff is the Bible, of course. What, what, what am I going to do? I'm just a computer programmer. What is my staff going to do? I have to remind you what Moses had. He had a stick. Computer skills have much to recommend them over a stick. I don't know how God is going to use computer skills, use your resources, but I could have never imagined how God would use a stick. But when our resources become His, we position ourselves to make a difference for good. When our desires and when our, when our, when our energy and when our will and when our experience becomes His, we align ourselves with His purposes and His design for us. Look, this is why we sing songs on Sunday morning like we do about surrender, all to Jesus I surrender, or we sing a song like, I will build my life upon your love, it is a firm foundation, or we sing the, the bridge to the song, it is well that we sang a minute ago, because we're rehearsing this truth, our staff has to become the staff of God for our lives to count. My life has become, as the Apostle Paul might have said, the life of Jesus living through me. That's the exercise. That's what we rehearse together. Now, some of you have never taken this step of surrender. You've thought things about God. You may have even felt deeply about God, but you've never turned your life over to Him. You know, you can do that this morning, or you can do that later today. And, and if this is you, I'm talking to you right now. I, I want you to do business with God. There's yet one more step in Moses' journey toward having his life count. And we've got to take that step as well. Uh, if I'm going to live a life that counts, I will have to obey. I'll have to step in to what he's calling. And to cover this territory, we need to hear the rest of chapter 4. So let's, uh, let's go old school at this point for the second part of chapter 4. Let's stand out of reverence for God's word. And I'm going to read verse 10 through the rest of the chapter. Moses said to the Lord then, O Lord, look, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm, I'm slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and I'll teach you what to say. But Moses said, oh Lord, please send someone else to do it. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth and I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But 
Take the staff in your hand so you can perform miraculous signs with it. All right, you may be seated. Okay, obviously Moses asked his fourth question here, how can I do this, God? I'm inadequate. At this point, we're sensing a theme, aren't we? This, this may be more than just timidity and humility at work, but God patiently addressed Moses yet again, and once again, God established that it's not about Moses. Now, we don't know what Moses meant by slow of speech here. Perhaps he was shy. Maybe he felt an even deeper aversion to public speaking than most of us do. Some have suggested that he had a, a speech impediment. According to the Greek translation of the Old Testament Hebrew, which is known as the Septuagint, Moses stammered and stuttered. Or perhaps during his years as a Midianite shepherd, he just lost his facility with Egyptian wouldn't know how to communicate in Pharaoh's court. Whatever Moses meant, God was still the answer. God had already told Moses that this venture would ultimately succeed. Uh, God had already told Moses that he would be with him. And in response to this objection, God assured Moses that he, God, was the one who made all things and he made them with a purpose. The implication being that Moses was exactly as he is for this purpose. Finally, again, God said, go, I'll tell you what to say. So let's recap again. Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh, rescue my people, go. Who am I to do this thing? It's not about you, I'll be with you, now go. But who are you? Well, I'm the one that makes everything happen. I am who I am. You're experiencing that right now. So go. What if they don't believe me? Okay, how about a demonstration? Turn your resources over to me. Surrender yourself so that you become the you of mine and they'll believe you. I'll make sure. Now go. How can I do this? I'm inadequate. Okay, once again, it's not about you. I made the blind and the sighted, the hearing and the deaf, even disabilities become abilities in my hands. You are adequate because I say you are. I made you exactly this way to be exactly this way. Now go. By my calculus, God has said, go, 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 go. And then in verse 13, we get Moses' fifth response. And I think finally we hear his real concern. This, it seems, has been the foundation of all of his four questions. Um, Pardon your servant, Lord, Moses said, but please send someone else. Fortunately, this is not Moses' final response because it's not a good one. As I was thinking through that this week, I thought of uh, several weeks ago, I went to a meeting um, with someone from Gateway and, and a few other people, and uh, I was late to the meeting. I, I was uh, 25 minutes late to the meeting. Uh, a few other people were late as well, but not, not nearly as late as me. And for some reason, it's completely mysterious and hidden in the utter sin nature of Ed Allen. I walked into that meeting and to the two or three people around me, I just made up something about why I was late. It wasn't even close to the truth. <laughs> the whole room didn't hear it, fortunately. Um, and it didn't matter to anybody else there. The people who heard it were like, oh, okay. So we go on with the meeting. It was, it was all right meeting. I leave the meeting, I get in my car, and I hear that little voice that uh, many of us have heard before. Uh, wow, that, you just made that up. That's called a lie. 
okay, that's a little harsh, but all right. I want you to go back inside and tell that person that you lied. Are you crazy? No, I'm not going to. That's completely and utterly embarrassing. Yeah, I want you to go back in and tell them that you lied. It's, it's not okay. It wasn't even that big a deal, right? So why did you even do it in the first place? Go back in and tell them that you lied. No, just I don't have time. They don't have time. Uh, yes, they do. They're still sitting in the room. Go back in and tell them that you lied. All of us have had these encounters with our own conscience, with that still small voice inside, because we've heard some talk or because of the advice of a friend or because of an epic encounter, an epic encounter with God, because of something he puts on our lives. We've had these encounters. If our lives are going to make a difference, then we have to obey in small things and in big. It's kind of a big deal. The prophet Samuel once told King Saul, listen, to obey is better than sacrifice. And Saul had it in his mind, as did most of God's people, because it was kind of what God had said, that sacrificing was a gigantic big deal. It's the high point of worship. And yet, obedience is even higher. Jesus was just as stark. Jesus had told his followers, it's all about love. Loving one another, loving God. Jesus said, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Obedience is a big stinking deal. And our lives will not make a difference. We will not live out God's design for us if we don't learn to obey. We know about that. We know about that habit that we engage in in the dark. We know about the culture that we set internally and with the people that we love most of fretting and anger. We know the apology we need to make. We know the difficult conversation that we need to have or the money that we need to give. We must obey in small things and in large. I'm going to ask uh, Jordan and Caroline to come back up if they would, and let's wrap this up this morning. What about you? What part of this process grabs your heart today? Uh, for you, is there, is there a need to understand? I mean to really understand. For you, is there a need for a deeper surrender? For you, is there an obedience problem? We need to do business with God. You know, in uh, Deuteronomy 18, uh, Moses, at the end of his life, offered God's people a great promise. He said, don't miss this. He said, the Lord said to me, this is Moses in Moses 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. If anyone does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name, I myself will call them to account. Now, Moses was a great leader, of course, but the exchange we heard today and Moses' reluctance here reminds us that there is only one who perfectly obeyed. Only one who completely understood. Only one whose staff was completely the staff of God. This one was God's very son, God incarnate. This one was Jesus, the prophet like Moses. 
You know, at the end of his life, though, uh, Jesus felt the immense burden of the call on him. And Jesus prayed, can this be done any other way, Father? But in the next breath, he ended the prayer by saying, yet, not my will, but yours be done. Let's pray. Lord, I uh, pray that you would uh, help us, fill us, and uh, empower us, and anoint us, and help us to live lives that count. Those of, for those of us who are parents, for our children, for our neighbors, for co-workers, for people in need, a world in need that needs us to step into your purposes for us. So Lord, I pray that you'd give us, uh, those of us who've never really experienced you, that we've never really understood, I pray that today the light would dawn. For those of us, Lord, who have areas of our lives or part of our resources or our whole lives to surrender Hear us today. We surrender. And for those of us, Lord, who have points of obedience that we need to get serious about, help us. We're hungry for you. We're thirsty for you. For you to move in, to speak, to massage your truth into our lives. We, we release ourselves to you so that the staff of Gateway can become the staff of God. We can make a difference for you.